Welcome everyone, I'm Andrew Duckworth and I'd like to thank you all for joining us for our special festive edition podcast to round off our series for the year of 2022. For what has been and continues to be a challenging and rather tumultuous year on many levels, today I'm delighted to be again joined by our editor-in-chief here at the journal, Professor Faris Haddad, who over the next 20 to 30 minutes will be giving his overview of the past year, highlighting some key papers we've published here at the journal, and finally maybe what we can expect and hopefully can look forward to in 2023. Many thanks for joining us, Prof. It's always great to have you back with us. Andrew, thank you. Thank you so much for hosting this and for the wonderful job you've done with the podcasts again this year. They really are a, a great part of the offering from the, the journal and the society, and we're all very grateful to you. Thanks very much, Prof. That's very kind. So, Prof, if we kick off, you know, another year has passed and we've sort of emerged from the pandemic now, but, but you know, further significant challenges have been presented to both the world, our, you know, the, our, our, our nation and our healthcare system over the past year and continue to to do so. What do you feel have been, I suppose, maybe on a positive note, the biggest achievements over the past year for our specialty and, and what the challenges have been as well? No, no, I mean, it's been, you know, another really tricky year in in that we are trying to recover. We're, we're trying to leave the pandemic behind, but we faced a number of huge challenges as a country along the way. And, you know, nationally and internationally, the pandemic has now been partly overcome, but we've still got a tricky situation with some wars going on. We've got economic challenges. And frankly, we've still got a workforce that has had to bear the brunt of a really very challenging three years. Yeah, And I, I think we have to continue to be mindful of that workforce, both in terms of the productivity and the work that we need to do for our patients who've been waiting for treatment, both in the UK and worldwide for such a long time, but also of the next workforce and of the trainees and the others who are coming through for whom the last three years have been very difficult and whose training may not have been what they wanted it to be. Yeah, so, so I think it remains a, a you know a really challenging time for everybody, but within our profession in particular, I, I think there's still a, a great deal of burnout and you know there there are a, a lot of people who are still not at peace with themselves and at peace with their work and, and probably are not able to enjoy their work as they did before no absolutely prof and i think it, when, it, it seems more common than ever that doesn't it and and i think it's like you say it was it was hard during the pandemic and and there are just other challenges now and it's just it's 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 hard to see that light at the end of the tunnel sometimes isn't it really it is. But having said that, I think we have to admire the resilience of our profession and our colleagues. And, you know, there has been a huge push against all the odds yeah. to to meet the backlog, to restore scheduled and elective care across the country and to really get going on this huge tsunami of patients who've been waiting. You know, I think yeah. we've all now become accustomed to the fact that many of our patients have become very deconditioned. Many of our patients... Uh, have deteriorated both physically and mentally with their arthritis and their allied conditions uh, over the COVID time period. And so their care has become more tricky. And I think our profession has risen to that task and we are working our way through this yeah. backlog. And, you know, we, we, we must always remember that we're blessed in trauma and orthopedics, that we have some really uh, highly effective procedures that change people's lives. Absolutely. And we need to continue to fight to yeah. be able to deliver those. And, yeah, I, and I think I think that's what the profession is going through and is about to go through for another winter. No, I agree. I agree. And I think, like you say, you see it from my, all my colleagues and both here in Edinburgh and throughout the UK, we all continue to advocate for our patients and, and, and for our specialty to try and 
provide those, let's say, those very effective interventions that we that we offer. And in terms of you know moving to the journal, how what's the past year been like for for the team here at the journal and all the amazing work that they do? No, it's been a, a really impressive year. I think people have really adapted to working differently and now have found a hybrid model whereby, you know, we have a wonderful base in London, as you know, but people are in the office less than they used to be. And we're now considering quite how we use the office space. But we've we've kind of managed to come back in. We've come together. We've had face-to-face editorial board meetings again. We've had face-to-face council meetings. So we've had the the opportunity to reset the strategy and look to the direction for the journal and for the overall society as to what we are doing now, how well we can progress in future and what the future vision's going to look like. I mean, ultimately, the, the journal is a, it's a close-knit family at the centre. We've, we, you know, we've got we celebrated 20 years of Emma Vodden at the Journal this year, which is remarkable. And those who come and meet us at the stand at meetings or come to our receptions will know she's very much the face of the of the Journal on the publishing side. And, you know, 20 years supporting, growing these products is, is phenomenal. And around Emma is, is, is a very close-knit family. And beyond that is, is the community of the Journal. And, yeah. and I think we've seen, in spite of the the challenges of the pandemic and sort of hybrid working we've seen the journal really progress this year yeah. uh, it's it's been a fascinating year in the sense that research has rather changed a little i think people have been catching up with studies you know lots of our studies failed to recruit or recruited very slowly during the covid pandemic so whilst we saw a sharp upsurge in submissions yeah. during covid when people were catching up on previous work reporting their cohorts, their series, searching their databases. Quite frankly, now people are getting back stuck into their clinical work and the studies that should have been producing data during COVID often haven't. So Mm -hmm. I think we've seen fewer submissions, uh, Mm -hmm. but we've still seen some really good quality publications. On the other hand, that's given us the time and the energy to focus on other products, other initiatives, and if you like, our digital offerings at the Journal. Absolutely, Prof. Yeah, no, and I echo those comments, particularly like you say, regarding Emma and her 20 years here at the Journal. And you sort of, what you just mentioned, Prof, sort of leads me into my, something I just wanted to talk about, just two things on our digital offering, which we'll come on to, but just to, just to highlight, you know, the, the really exceptional growth that the Bone and Joint Openness had, you know, our gold open access journal and how that has really just gone from strength to strength and, and very soon will have its own impact factor. Yeah, I mean, this is remarkable. It is, as you know, I, I edit BJO with with the help of Alex Little as well as the BJJ, and and this started just in January 2020. It has been a phenomenal growth. Mm-hmm. So that we've now published over 300 papers mm-hmm. over the, over the past three years. BJO is now really well recognised by our community. Um, it's got a growing base of registrants, of supporters, and of, of people on social media. And it's fully accessible on PubMed Central and in the directory of open access journals. And as you mentioned, from 2023, it's going to have a an, an impact factor. And by our predictions, that's going to be a really very good yeah. uh, impact factor that people will be surprised by. And, that, and that's a testament to, to the quality of the publications that have gone in there. I think it's probably worth stressing to our to our listeners that bjo is a journal that people can submit to directly mm-hmm. but also if a paper is submitted to the bone and joint journal and <clears throat> is reviewed by our, our excellent group of reviewers so this paper has already been looked at it's been digested by our reviewers by our associate editors um 
that paper may come back and we may think this is methodologically sound or this is interesting work, but it doesn't quite fit into the BJJ in terms of its impact or, 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 or its quality, but it nevertheless is above the bar. Then we offer those authors the opportunity to publish in BJ, BJO and, and an increasing number of authors are taking that bone and joint open option because they recognize its quality and its reach. It's, it's probably worth briefly giving you one one good example. If you've you know been in looked in the news for orthopedic news in the last couple of weeks, you'll have seen the storm that's arisen over over knee replacements and mm-hmm. where the the media has unfortunately taken the, the the failure of a small subset of mm-hmm. the next gen knee replacement and amplified that and scared many of our patients. Now, mm-hmm. the reassuring thing is that this is you know, a couple of femoral desi- designs with one tibial design. But actually, the one of the first reports on this, in fact, I think probably the first report was in Bone and Joint Open from Eric Masterson and yeah. his group this year. So we're, we're, we are publishing some really good quality material and material that would be looked at and referenced in Bone and Joint Open. Yeah, no, absolutely. Probably. Like you say, it started off for, you know, with having a lot of COVID work in it, didn't it, initially? And really the growth that was started with that, but the quality of the work and the breadth of the work in now is is really, really impressive. And also it does publish things as well, like you say, like protocols for trials and things like that, that it covers. And all, all I would say, and I think a lot of people would know, at a very reasonable open access charge compared to a lot of the journals that are out there. No, no. I mean, it, it is extremely affordable. Yeah, absolutely. Com- compared to most APCs, and and so we would encourage people to look at that. Absolutely. And and just before we move on to the highlight papers, Prof, just very briefly, sort of, you know, we've talked about these before, but you know, the the, the digital products that are being developed by the team at the journal, really, really amazing, and particularly things like Ortho Media and Ortho Search, they are really growing rapidly and are really impressive. They are, and it's a testament to, to to our team and their hard work. And as I was saying earlier, the attention's been directed, if you like, away from the core work because we've got the core work under control at the moment. Mm. And the society sees its mission as helping and educating orthopedic surgeons. And so both those offerings are directed at our trauma and orthopedic community to basically allow uh, – searches to occur we all do them we do them in different ways on different platforms Mm. to occur in a a bespoke way that's designed for orthopedic surgeons to deliver what they need and so i think people will find ortho search extremely helpful Mm. it isn't centered in any way on the journal It, it is neutral it is really just designed to give you access to the best material but it is designed if you like by orthopedic surgeons and their teams and their publishing teams for the orthopedic community. So I think people will um, will enjoy that and it will become their search engine of choice. They'll, they'll find it incredibly useful. Lots of ways of downloading PDFs, ways of linking, ways of citing that make life much easier than many of the standard platforms. And Orthomedia is a phenomenal repository for the good quality material that is presented and created all around in various meetings. It's just great to bring it all together for our community to be able to access it in in one place. You know, in, increasing increasingly, we're finding different ways to learn snippets of a video there, a presentation there, a lecture there. We want to be able to do it on the move. The podcasts are one way that we're mm-hmm. delivering that. But if you look at Author Media, it is a wonderful resource that the journal and the society are providing for our members. No, I totally agree. And like you say, it is a real way that it's serving the community in a really large way throughout not only the UK, but the world. And 
I think uh, Emma and her team would be happy for us to say, you know, it, it is something that's evolving and, you know, we, we, we need people to go and use it. And if you, there's feedback you have that can be helpful, we would, we'd always welcome it, wouldn't we? Mm. Absolutely. You know, it is work in progress, but it is already tremendously useful. Absolutely. And, you know, we will evolve it and progress it with our community. Definitely. So, Prof, if we sort of move on briefly to a few highlight papers from the past year, which you've published, which we published here at the BJJ, and you've kindly picked for us. And I can say there were it was it, there were several ones that you sent through to me, and you know it could we could have picked any any of of that of that group, but just just to, I thought we'd highlight a few, which I think these papers highlight the quality of the work that now is being published in the journal, the level of evidence now that is becoming common place in the journal. And the first is sort of very topical, looking at biologics PRP, and is from the group in Australia, and was a double blind randomized placebo control trial comparing three groups of patients with early stage symptomatic neoa and they received either a placebo injection with some saline a one prpo injection followed by two placebos or three prpo injections a really interesting study prof isn't it and it's sort of there's a lot of nuances around the literature in this area as we know yeah no i mean this is this was outstanding as you know I keep talking and writing about the importance of level one data and and the importance of us raising the bar yeah. in our specialty as to how we do research, how we answer questions. And, and you know, this is an area that is of great interest to our patients, uh, to our community, to industry, that, you know, the holy grail, this sort of regenerative biologic area where mm. we can treat osteoarthritis without metal and plastic and improve patient symptoms. So, But sadly, this area is also dominated by bias studies, generally yeah. with conflicts or industry drivers behind them, or poor reporting. And as you know, Ian Murray and I and others and Scott Rodeo have written in the journal in the past about the the, the importance of high quality studies in this area of avoiding conflicts and of appropriate reporting. So this I really enjoyed reading and was delighted we could publish from this excellent group. Yeah. Uh, you know, that they've managed to show the power of placebo. And in this study with this particular PRP, not really show a benefit for patients. And I think studies like this, and there are others, are, are very important for us to be really pragmatic in, in our interpretation. We must continue this regenerative drive, but we need to do it in a you know clinically robust way that is unconflicted. No, absolutely, Prof. And I think, like you say, until you actually delve into these studies a little bit more in terms of, like you say, about the the bias or the conflict that's in there, but also things like, you know, the standardization or the type of PRP that you're using. I mean, people think PRP is one thing. It's such a range out there and actually often not reported in a, in a proper way in some studies. You don't even know what they're actually using or how you would recreate it. So I think it's a real a real good highlight paper of and, and really... Uh, I suppose in some ways a good starting point to continue to build from, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. Key study, key messages. Let's not raise false hopes in yeah. our patients. Let's, you know, let, let's recruit patients into more studies rather than offer them unproven treatments, you know, just on, on the basis. Remember, these things are expensive. Absolutely. Too. Mustn't forget that. But I think we have, like many other areas, we've published criteria for what we like to see in these studies in terms of reporting and you know we would commend people to see those read them and use them to plan their studies absolutely absolutely so prof that takes on to our next study which was reporting on data from the sweden spinal stenosis study and again you know a prospective randomized trial over 200 patients with central lumbar spinal stenosis at one or two adjacent levels and they were randomized into two groups of decompression alone and decompression with fusion. And again, a large RCT, you know, primary outcome in many ways. But again, you know, actually, 
Um, a study that is actually answering a, a, a really important clinical question, but in the right way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the ability of our Scandinavian colleagues to do these randomised studies yeah. is, 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 you know, Second to none, yeah. they are they they are extremely impressive, and you know this is answering a, a, an important question. I think for many orthopedic surgeons, remember the spinal world has orthopedic surgeons, neurosurgeons. There are often yeah. divides over what mm-hmm. people like to do. Mm-hmm. I, you know, the, the the bias of the orthopedic spinal surgeon would be towards adding in a bit of stability on top of the decompression. And yet here we've got a study, a high quality randomized study that is giving us an opposite opposite signal. So yes. I think that's that's really important. Now, I, I spend a lot of time, as I'm sure you do and other colleagues on the board do, trying to focus our randomized studies towards, you know, PROMs and pa- patient-specific outcomes as as the direction of travel. And, you know, in an NIHR, as you know, yeah. look, looks at that as an a- absolutely necessary thing at the heart of our big randomized studies. Here, they've got a, a radiographic outcome mm. study but they've looked at clinical outcomes but i think it's a valid radiographic yeah. outcome it's it's they've done it extremely well uh, really good methodology it looks like you know very robust reporting so yeah. it, it's 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 I, i'm excited by the fact that people are doing these studies i'm really excited by the fact they're being published in the journal absolutely absolutely and and finally profit just going on to the sort of maybe not one paper but just highlighting a type of paper that we've we've published more at the journal in the past year or so and that was to highlight the compose and open studies which are ex- excellent examples of uk trainee collaborative projects and and how they are really have been really a, a successful but actually are really useful at providing large baseline epidemiological and management data you know what in the compose study it was periprosthetic fractures periprosthetic fractures and in the open study open fractures but really valuable data not only just to have in the literature but also to build from and build our our trials from as well you know absolutely i was really pleased that we were able to publish both of these papers you know mm. both are trainee collaboratives but they're trainee collaboratives that i think are well guided yeah. and well led and and that's really quite important and mm. i think they'll, they'll they'll give us baseline data to inform future data collection future studies to really build on as a community i think it's it's always been challenging and as you know there's there's been this desire to have trainees publish yeah in order to progress with their careers and i still think that's very important but how you publish and where you publish and what you get from it is really really critical and yeah. you know publishing a you know a case report in the journal of what you had for breakfast is not not that valuable to me in terms of what people can do to interpret the literature and to interpret what's happening around them during their career but getting trainees involved in these high quality collaborations and getting them to meet the, the the leading researchers in our field and getting them to understand what are important questions how to collect data how to analyze it i think that sets us up very well for the future of academic orthopedics and trauma and there'll be the the, the future leaders of mm-hmm. research and i'm hoping future reviewers future board members and hopefully one of these people will step up and eventually allow you and i to have a rest and take over yeah, no, absolutely. And like you say, I think it's giving those really important building blocks for good methodology from an early stage, isn't it? And it's so vital. And like you say, a, a really good way to a really good way to do it. But I think they're two two really good studies and and provide such important data. So, so Prof, just sort of finishing up, just conscious of time. What what do you think? You know, looking ahead for the year ahead. You know, what do you 
think of the challenges or maybe things to look forward to for our specialty and for the yeah no i think it's great i'm optimistic i'm i'm always optimistic i'm i'm looking forward to 2023 i think we're getting back on our feet and so from a research perspective i think we're going to see more high quality studies more high quality research i hope the economic turn down and you know the cut in funding for the brcs and so on isn't going to see a reduction in yeah. good quality orthopedic studies so i think we must continue we must continue to develop grow and fund the next generation of academic surgeons but so i'm optimistic from a research perspective i'm hoping that we can continue to lobby for standalone orthopedic facilities to treat our patients all year round so that the winters aren't too tough. So I think we've got a massive backlog and a a huge need to deliver our surgery. So I hope the orthopedic community is going to be busy in mm. uh, in 2023 i my feeling is the trauma community has been pretty busy anyway in 2022 and is likely to continue to be busy but i think we we've got a lot to do yeah. we should keep doing it both on a clinical and research and a training and education level and at the journal you know we're going to continue doing what we're doing we're i think we are continuing to set the bar high and i think my my solution to the fact that we're setting the bar high is is, is going to be just to accept that there are some studies that are likable and that are potentially plausible, but that we're not going to publish in the journal because they're not going to change clinical practice. So we are going to focus on practice changing high quality methodology in the journal. We're going to invite more expert matter and systematic reviews to be put in the journal as well. And we're going to continue with the digital products. I think you'll see Orthomedia and also Search expand and improve. And we've got other offerings on the way, including an improved website. So mm. I think our, our readers have a lot to look forward to. Absolutely, Prof. Well, I think that's a really nice place to finish and, and all we have time for. But thank you so much, as always. Excellent overview of what has been another you know, good but challenging year for everyone. And as ever, it's it's been really informative and always great to talk to you. Thanks, Prof. Andrew, thank you and a Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you, your family and all our community. Absolutely. I'd like to echo that as well. And finally, as ever, we would like to wish all of our listeners and the wider community a very happy and festive period and all the very best for 2023. We at The Journal, thank you so much for your support and stay safe, everyone. And thanks for listening.